Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So by, by show of hands, how many people are satisfied with their God? Go ahead, raise your hand. If, if you're satisfied with your God... All right. Um, For those of you that didn't raise your hand, is there a complaint department? Does God have a complaint department? I mean, is there any way you can upgrade your experience with God? (laughs) I'm uh, I'm actually really stoked about tonight's show. I think uh, I think we're going to have a uh, a wonderful conversation, Um, but. The uh, the idea of the role of God um, to to uh, help us evolve through our struggles, both individually and collectively. What resources does God have for us? What what's the fulcrum? What's the fulcrum? The the leverage point of the divine. And how as we as mere mortals, so to speak, how do we um, discover that and then um, um, bring that into fruition or fulfillment? Um, Tonight's show, I am, I tell you, I am, I'm quite impressed by this book. Our guest tonight is Peter Canova, and the topic tonight is the topic of his latest book, Quantum Spirituality, Science, Gnostic Mysticism, and Connection with the Source Consciousness. I think we're going to have plenty to talk about, so I think we should get right to it. In his latest nonfiction book, Quantum Spirituality, Peter who is a renowned linguistic historian and spiritual philosopher, suggests a profound and astonishing alignment between the ancient Gnostic teachings and the modern sciences of quantum physics. The ancient Gnostic teachings and the modern sciences of quantum physics and philosophy that he certainly dramatized in his acclaimed Trilogy, Pope Annalisa, the 13th Disciple, and the Light of Distant Suns. He's a highly successful multilingual international businessman who, after a series of life-changing spiritual experiences, began studying and writing on spirituality and consciousness. Peter is the author of the 25-time award-winning First Souls Trilogy and has contributed to the popular Chicken Soup for the Soul series. He hosts a podcast, Quantum Spirituality, on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. He is bi-coastal and resides in both California and Florida. You can learn more about Peter Canova at petercanova.com. P-E-T-E-R-C-A-N-O-V-A dot com. Join me in welcoming Peter to the show. Peter, I'm delighted to have you on the show. Welcome. Good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. 
What a what a comprehensive look at <laughs> so many things. Your book is really uh, a very uh, condensed and um, perhaps uh, comprehensive and thorough look at the at the uh, the Gnostic area of understanding how and how some of those fundamental principles have been lost in i guess you'd say traditional christian teachings how did how did you um come around to delving into this material so deeply well it was really through personal experiences when i was in my 20s i found out that uh, i was a very accurate medical intuitive and as soon as i got over the surprise and disbelief of that, uh, I started experiencing many other things like clairvoyance, clairaudience, premonitions, remote viewing, uh, and um, I realized that essentially um, I was dipping my foot into other dimensions or other worlds, um, getting this information, and I wanted to understand what those worlds were about. I want to understand the mechanics because, you know, I'm a Capricorn. So I'm both, I both have a spiritual side and a very, uh, you know, and a, and a very practical side. And uh, I wasn't enough for me just to have these experiences. I wanted to really understand the nuts and bolts behind it. And that's when I started delving into ancient spiritual traditions, particularly the Gnostics, because I found that they were the most scientifically practical and precise people of their age. And that soon led me uh, into a study of quantum physics. And the, crea- the, the nexus there is that both that science and, and that spiritual tradition essentially deal with matter, light, and energy. And so it wasn't really that much of a stretch for me to go from the, um, the spiritual wisdom into, you know, quantum science. And, you know, really uh, what uh, quantum spirituality, the book, is about is connecting the dots because we're multi-discipline, we're multi, multi-dimensional creatures. And I wanted to give uh, multidisciplinary answers to people. So, you know, when you're trying to provide a roadmap of knowledge to people, uh, into you know what might be uncharted territory for them. You, you need to have more than one coordinate. Um, you know you have to have a north-south and or an east-west or latitude and longitude. Uh, and in this case, my coordinates were science, uh, which is really quantum physics and um, psychology, neurophysiology, and uh, spiritual wisdom. On the other hand, so using the, these these multi-dimensional metrics uh, allows people to connect a lot of uh, dots and see the similarities that essentially what you think of as, you know, very different types of endeavors are really saying the same thing about our, our source and uh, about the source of our being and the, the nature and operation of reality. So it's really a roadmap uh, that I put together uh, for people. And um, it's, it's the nice, the cool thing about it is it, it's so in-depth that, both right brain and left brain people can relate to it. People who are spiritually oriented and people who are the sort of more, you know, logical analytical types. This is where the science and the spirituality come in and reinforce one another. Well, I like that. And in the book, you talk about um, like Jesus, when he would talk to the masses, uh, he would talk in parables, but when he talked to his inner circle there was a whole different uh style of teaching 
Do, do you think that, uh, I mean, because I try to imagine myself back in, you know, 2,000 years ago, and you're trying to describe uh, quantum physics, but you can't use the word quantum or physics. <laughs> I mean, it, right. it just wasn't in their vocabulary. Do you think... Uh, do you think now is a time for a, 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 a reawakening, so to speak, of those uh, ancient teachings? Because we have we have a context to put it in with uh, with quantum physics, and that would help us understand it in a accelerated way. Well, I certainly think the educational level of humanity has really lifted, uh, you know, exponentially since the time of Jesus. However, I will also say that the spiritual awareness of modern humans has probably regressed from the time of Jesus, the, the mystical understanding. So we've kind of stepped forward on one hand, stepped a little bit backward on the other hand. But I do think that this time and age is ripe for uh, a, a wider uh, understanding of these things. And, you know, I'll tell you something really interesting. I saw the movie Oppenheimer recently. And it really struck me in relation to my work that Oppenheimer has made people around the globe right now aware of the dawn of the applied quantum age. And I, I, I use the word applied because uh, Oppenheimer and his fellow group of scientists that invented the atomic bomb were using the uh, understandings and theories of quantum physics for a, a, a very specific um, thing which was to develop a weapon. So Oppenheimer really was, was uh, informing people uh, of, of uh, they're giving people a glimpse of the power of quantum physics. However, that's the dark side of quantum physics. The result was the atomic bomb, something that you know, is a potential threat to all of humanity. Now, the Gnostics, on the other hand, developed the first quantum theory textbook two and 3,000 years ago, and... However, the Gnostics, if you really want to look at it, they are the, the light side of quantum physics, the side of quantum physics that can, if you understand it and apply it correctly, allow people to grow in consciousness and receive more light, receive more knowledge. So it really, it really kind of struck me that in one way I was very happy that um, more people are going to start to understand quantum physics and the potentialities of quantum physics, but we need to understand that that potentiality is a two-edged sword. It, it can either work for us or against us. So in the case of the Gnostic text, if you're educated in those, I think it can dramatically work in our favor. I like that. Well, um, if I ask the audience to send me in pictures of gravity, take a picture of gravity and send it to me, there wouldn't be any pictures of gravity because it's uh, you can't sense it with your five senses, but yet um, a ballet dancer can go out on the floor and, and demonstrate a phenomenal, phenomenal mastery of gravity, even though there's not a, uh, a sensory experience of it directly. And so when we talk about quantum... I don't I'm not sure I'm not so sure we have to understand it in a like a mathematical or an analytical way in so much as our relationship with our consciousness because in the book you talk about 
the effect of consciousness as it applies to the quantum realm, and indeed we are all consciousness personified, how does how do you see the book as it talks about consciousness relationship with the quantum? How do you see your book as um, a vehicle to help people understand how they can interact with the quantum? Well, the first thing that I one of the first, one of the first things I get into is the fact that we have to understand we're living an illusory existence. We're living in a kind of giant cosmic holographic matrix. Um, I'm not the first one, obviously, to notice this. Uh, even Elon Musk uh, and other people have talked about the fact that uh, we live in a simulated reality or a matrix. But some of the things that you just cited, like gravity, okay, so the counterintuitive thing about quantum physics is that the world that we think is visible and solid, they're shown arises from a world that's invisible and not solid. Um, at the very fundamental levels of reality, there is no such thing as particles. There is no such thing as matter. All that exists is a quantum wave, a quantum field of energy, a field of light energy, a force field. Let's call it the force, to use popular terminology from Star Wars. This force permeates everything, and this force is not empty. It's not a vacuum. It is basically intelligent light energy that is providing direction that gives rise to all the various forms of existence, both visible and invisible, that we are aware of. And it all goes back to consciousness. Um, the old, what I call the old science, traditional materialist science, that's life, the great accident. They, 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 they explain consciousness by saying, well, you know, somehow inorganic matter became organic, and then we have these molecules and particles, and they started bumping into one another, and they started forming more complex, uh, you know, structures and things like that. But, but it's, all, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's a house of cars. They've never been able to prove that, and it absolutely makes no sense. What makes much more sense is that instead of a bottom-up process, like, you know, assuming that materiality is fundamental and everything else arises from material circumstances, it makes much more sense to understand that it was a conscious, intelligent light energy that created everything. And quantum science really bears that out. I mean, Max Planck, who was the father of quantum physics in 1900, that's really the dawn of quantum physics was really in 1900 rather than Oppenheimer's era. Oppenheimer was um, the beneficiary of other people who came before him. But the the real dawn of the quantum, quantum era was the turn of the century. And Max Planck, who was the father of quantum physics, said, I can assure you of one thing, that there is no such thing as matter, that all appearance of matter is a conscious, intelligent mind bringing energy to a vibration that causes the appearance of the material world. I'm paraphrasing here, but that's essentially what, what he said. And he said, behind all, all reality, all matter, is a conscious, intelligent mind, which is consciousness, okay? Then just another way of saying consciousness is behind everything. Coming from the father of quantum physics, okay? This isn't coming from Swami Ramalama Ding Dong somewhere and, you know, teaching a new age <laughs> class in, in, Berkeley, in Berkeley. You know, this is from the father of quantum physics itself. And everything 
since the time of Max Planck has just borne out the fact that it is intelligent light energy that contains information the same way our bodies are coded by DNA. This intelligent light energy contains these algorithms, essentially, uh, electromagnetic algorithms, which give rise to everything that we see, feel, touch, and and even things that we, we don't see, feel, and touch. So, um, you know, that that's that's really... The, the very counterintuitive thing that people have to understand when they hit the quantum world because it shocks people that, um, you know, there is no such thing as a solid world. It's just, it's just an appearance, and it only is an appearance under certain circumstances. When this quantum field collapses, can collapse like little, you know, little cul-de-sacs into um, point particles that give rise to matter. But even the atoms and molecules that scientists study are 99% light energy in space, and only 1% is mass. We concentrate on the 1% to the exclusion of understanding that it's the 99% that represents the true reality. And I know that's a lot for people to swallow, and it doesn't really make any sense, but that's the world that we are built upon. That's our foundation world, and that's what it's like. Well, I, and that's that's a really powerful thing to. I mean, because our minds look into this uh, this hologram of of matter and think of it as the reality that we live in, and in in actuality, metaphorically, it's like the tip of a bullwhip. The tip of the bullwhip has no. Um, Motive of its own, it's the handle of the whip that decides what happens to the tip of the whip. In other words, as the handle goes, so follows the tip of the whip. And likewise, when we look at this this um, holographic matrix of, of atoms and matter, that's the conclusion of consciousness, not the basis of reality. It's the end. I think product. that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Uh, Les, um, we are kind of the bottom rung of a bunch of uh, steps that preceded uh, before us, and uh, we're we're not very aware of those other, um, you know, those those other dimensions uh, that uh, that we rest upon, and. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, it, it really is kind of uh, fascinating when you, you you come to think about it because the the best way that I can give an analogy is this quantum field that I spoke of. Think of a smooth body of water, a still body of water, like a river or something. Okay, and living in Florida, I can tell you that every so often, out of that still river water spouts form. Water spouts are almost like waterborne tornadoes, okay? Tornadoes, you can see them, they, they, they swirl around, you know, in a vortex, and you don't want to be around one when you're out in the water. But the, these, these disturbances in the smooth surface of the water are visible as like, ent like they're entities unto themselves, but they're not entities unto themselves. They arise from that smooth surface in the water. They're like blemishes or blips in the field. And that's what quantum science is telling us that our physical reality is. We are kind of like a temporary blip in the universal eternal field of quantum energy. And under certain circumstances, as I said, you know, the, the, the energy collapses into particle form. These water spouts form off the still water. 
and we look at the water spout and we say, oh, that's our reality, but we're missing the point. The reality is that's still water below it from which that water spout arises. So that, that is really the picture that quantum science is, is leading us to, and they're understanding that there are other dimensions uh, of parallel dimensions of existence out there and that we're part of a connected multiverse. We're not just isolated unto ourselves as some, um, you know, as some reality uh, just unto ourselves. We're part of a much greater multiverse. Nice. Well, so if I, if I look at, quote, reality, unquote, this world we live in, and, and I see all kinds of conundrums that uh, um, aren't serving humanity, I'm really looking at the consequence of consciousness, uh, both collectively and perhaps individually. If I keep staring at the consequence of the consciousness and not do anything to address the consciousness that created the consequence, I'm kind of stuck because... Well, the the, um, the atomic realm is not the 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 fulcrum. It it is not the canvas of creation, but the results of creation. So when I see something that um, perhaps in my own life that is a reflection of my own consciousness, but yet if I don't take that into consideration and I observe it happening in my life and I point to it quote out there unquote and I don't address my consciousness, it's really fool's play to think that anything of substance is going to change over time unless I address the consciousness within my own persona that created the effect that I'm observing. So how how do we become aware of that element of consciousness within our own persona? Okay, so this is a good time to sort of shift to the more spiritual or Gnostic side of quantum spirituality and uh, have an understanding of how the Gnostics viewed creation. And essentially the Gnostics said there was one single source of creation. Now you can call it God, you can call it the source, you can call it the beginning, the father, it doesn't matter. The names, the name, those are just names. They're all describing the same thing. It is a source consciousness. And this source consciousness essentially projected other points of consciousness out from itself. Now, this is significant, and I want to draw a distinction here between the Gnostic and the ancient mystical understanding of God and consciousness compared to modern Judeo-Christian understanding. So in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we are supposed to be these creations of, of, of some separate God, you know, you, they used to view him as like this emperor sitting on the throne waving his hand, and, you know, all of a sudden from the dust of the earth, uh, these, these human beings were created. But they're, but they're separate creations from the creator. Um, and, uh, oh, by the way, uh, we messed up at the beginning with original sin, and, you know, God pissed <laughs> off at us, and now we're forever trying to get back in his good graces. Okay, so that's the game that Judeo-Christianity has led us into for thousands of years right now, very unfortunately. So the Gnostics said, no, that's not the way it works. We are not separate creations. So, you know, Geppetto created Pinocchio. Pinocchio was the puppet. Geppetto was the creator. But that's not the way it works. That's the way Judeo-Christianity views the relationship of human beings to God. The Gnostic view was that we are actually emanations or projections of this one consciousness itself, that this consciousness projected its essence outward into different points of consciousness, that 
you know, in, in Judeo-Christian tradition, you can call them angels. The Gnostics call these new points of consciousness eons, A-E-O-N-S, which means eternities in Greek. And they were called eternities because they were archetypes. They represented the ideals from the, the source of this conscious mind. They were called things like love, mercy, justice, wisdom, all the archetypes that guide even down to our human existence that set the ideals for our, 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 our deeply felt ideals in human existence. They filter all the way down to this dimension. And so these, these, um, these points of consciousness were ultimately, ultimately, um, and I, I, I would have to get in more deeply into the Gnostic creation story, which we can later on if you want, but the shorthand version is that these points of consciousness or spiritual beings that were projected from the source itself ultimately worked their way down into physical form. They, they wanted to ex- have experience, uh, even experience outside of the realm of pure spirit or energy, and they projected down to the point where they, were, they limited their consciousness in, in essence. They dumbed themselves down, in effect, to the point where they could think of themselves as um, you know, as, as physical bodies, human souls in, in residing in physical bodies. So uh, you and I talked. I think you told me you were an engineer, and I likened this whole thing to a power grid. And I said, if you view the source as the source of energy, the source of electricity, and these other uh, projected beings were like the relay stations. So they are part of the stream of consciousness. Okay, they they they. they they dumb it down. Their step, the energy is stepped down like it is in a power grid. You don't get the pure energy that would blow out all the circuits, but it's stepped down in energy, but it's still all part of the same energy. So human beings are part of this stream of consciousness that goes all the way back to the source. Why don't we recognize that? Because, like I said, the energy was tapped down. It, it, it all has to do with limitation. People or spirits or whatever, souls, can only perceive themselves as being individuals if they have limited consciousness. If they had the same degree of consciousness as the source, they wouldn't be individuals anymore. They'd be absorbed back into the source. So limitation is the necessity, uh, or I should say, uh, you know, individuality necessitates having a limited consciousness. But we are still part of that stream of consciousness. And our purpose here is to trace ourselves back and go back on that trail and take the experience that we have here in the material world, but bring that back through the conscious stream, reverse engineer ourselves to the point where we can reconnect with what we really are and raise our consciousness. And that's what we mean by increasing awareness or raising consciousness. And the purpose of my book, Quantum Spirituality, is to give people information, knowledge, and techniques in order to help them have these extraordinary breakthroughs or these experiences with higher consciousness to recognize what we really and truly are, which is spirits having a human experience. Very nice. I like that. So, um, for example, in, in Egypt, in the time of Moses, the, the, the people were slaves and they prayed to the big God uh, and say, well, you know, slavery sucks. Um, come, come, save our asses. And 
and and and so these personifications of of God consciousness, the humans, are praying to God, and God doesn't take Ramsey and crack his head open and flip a switch in his psyche. God does not strong arm Ramsey, but rather it seems like every time flesh and bones comes along. Uh, zero In zero places of our mythology does a glowing orb come down from the heavens and the slums become palaces and the and and the wars end. The um, when we think of our current conundrum, uh, in that um, well, we've built out a nuclear arsenal that can end life on the planet, and there's there's such a tug of war for a collective narrative right now. As an individual personification of the divine, how can I <clears throat> excuse me? How can I take my persona? and leverage it with my divine the divine idea of me that source consciousness within me and be a vehicle of the change that humanity is hungry for now well first of all let's go you went back to the uh, the hebrews and the egyptians the reason why prayer doesn't work is because the hebrews and the christians that they grew up grew out of them uh, are praying to something that doesn't exist. They're praying to a God that doesn't exist. They're praying to a God that is a projection of their own flaws and their own uh, their own uh, ego. If you look at the Old Testament, and the Gnostics pointed this out very clearly, they viewed Jehovah as a deviant, uh, as a as a as a deviant creation of the collective human consciousness. Because, again, you're praying to something that is outside yourself. You're, 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 when you petition God, you know, if, if you do this for me, I'll do this. Well, it doesn't work. The prayer, for that kind of prayer, doesn't work. Because you're praying to some, some illusion like it's outside of yourself, as if God is a separate thing. You're, you're viewing yourself as the created, and God is the creator. It's like Pinocchio praying to Geppetto. So it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work that way, because really, everything you need to know and everything you need to transform is already within you. You just have to have the knowledge and the experience to awaken to that. And the the Gnostics, uh, incidentally, the Gnostics itself, the word Gnostics, comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. Our verb, um, you know, to know in English comes from the Greek gnosis. And the Gnostics were those who knew. And what they knew was that we were projections of the conscious, the divine consciousness itself. And so, therefore, we did not have to petition some external God like kneeling before an emperor on a throne. What we needed to do was remember, and remembrance of our true natures, of our true potential, comes through knowledge and comes through experience. Now, the kind of knowledge they were talking about, though, is really a higher form of knowledge. There's, there's two kinds of knowledge. There is book knowledge, which is which is fine. You can study scripture, and that's all good. I mean, no no knock against that. It's a, it's a helpful stepping stone. But there's a higher form of knowledge, which is experiential knowledge. And the best way I could describe it is, I can tell you that fire burns, but until you stick your hand in that fire, you don't know that. You're taking my word for it, okay? But when you put your hand in that fire, you've now experienced it and you own it, and that's experiential knowledge. 
And the Gnostics had systems of meditation and, and, and other, you know, ways that they went about things, that they were teaching, um, you know, adepts in these mystery schools. Uh, it was almost like an academy of, of spirituality. And they would teach them the various steps to raise their consciousness to the point where they could have a direct experience with extraordinary consciousness, which is the purpose of my book. The purpose of my, the stated purpose of my book right up front is to assist people to have extraordinary experiences with consciousness, similar to what I had, which changed my life and changed the whole course of my life. I'd like to help other people get there. And the best thing I can say is um, I always challenge people. And I say, you know, okay, what's in it for you? Let me ask you this. You want to live in the basement or you want to live in the penthouse? Where are you going to see more of the panorama of life and reality and have more control over things, in the basement or up in the penthouse where you can see you're up higher and you can see a lot more and you can understand a lot more? And that's really the whole purpose of what we're trying to do is to get people to move up to the penthouse of knowledge and awareness to the point where they can contact this tremendous power that really is out there. And the difference between what I'm trying to say and maybe, you know, sort of the evangelists and, and, and faith heals and people like that is they're, they're, they're totally asking you to re- take what they're saying on faith. Okay, faith is something that you get third hand from somebody else and you can choose to believe it or not believe it. And in some cases it may, it may be right, and in other cases it's dead wrong. The only way that you know for sure and you really own something is when you directly experience it. So the difference between how I'm trying to inspire people with the knowledge that I have in quantum spirituality is I'm trying to get people to move beyond faith to have a much higher understanding of how all this stuff works so that they can use it in their own lives. Nice. Well, in the in the book, you talk about um, when Jesus would teach the the inner circle, so to speak, that the audience was both men and women, and then um, as the progression of the church came along and Constantine came along and and edited a bunch of texts and whatnot, it became a very patriarchal structure. Are we in the basement because we're uh, a patriarch? Uh, we're so skewed towards the masculine side because you you talk about the feminine being pinched out of the narrative so to speak and and that would leave us in the masculine is that what collapses to the basement and the feminine would actually bring uh, balance and harmony back where we could embody the penthouse as you say Well, to answer that question so that your listeners can understand, I really have to go back into the early days of Christianity so people can understand what really happened. And early Christianity, if you had gone back to the time of Jesus and his disciples and you referred to anybody as a Christian, they'd have no idea what you were talking about. Because the, the, the people around Jesus and his circle of disciples and, 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 and people who listened to him were called the way. They weren't called Christianity. They were called the way. Now, that's very indicative of the fact that early Christianity was not a religion at all. It was a spiritual path, like yoga. It was a spiritual path. And in the Bible, we, it tells us in all four of the Synoptic Gospels 
that unto the masses Jesus taught parables, but unto the disciples he gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We have further evidence from early church fathers, like Clement of Alexandria and Origen, both of whom were bishops of the major Greek city of Alexandria at the time, which was actually the headquarters of the Gnostics too, Jesus had a secret teaching. And Christianity essentially had two streams. One was an intermystical teaching, which was given to far fewer people. And the other was sort of um, the, the teachings that were given in parables for mass consumption. And the reason for that division uh, that the, um, the early church fathers commented was that the masses really weren't capable of understanding the deeper um, radical spiritual message that Jesus was teaching. That was reserved for the elect, and it wasn't meant to sound elitist, but what they meant by the elect was that those people who could really get out of the box of the Jewish law and really understand how radical Jesus' teachings were about the nature of reality and things. Now, it so happened in the Gnostic Gospels that they described that Jesus' main disciple was not Peter. Uh, it was Mary Magdalene. And that the early leadership of the church were was largely feminine influence. Now, there, there's, there's two ways we can look at this feminine issue, okay? Um, we can look at it as personified by physical females like Mary Magdalene and Martha and Susanna, uh, Salome, and other, uh, other figures that were named. Uh, and they certainly played a prominent role in supporting the whole Jesus movement, I mean, materially, but also Mary Magdalene was the one who most clearly understood the radical nature of Jesus' teachings. And Peter, my namesake, in fact, was portrayed as a dunce. Peter couldn't get it, and a lot of the other male disciples couldn't get it. They were so boxed up in the Jewish law, they really couldn't understand the fact that Jesus was teaching that it was consciousness, not this external God that was the source of things, and that's what you have to connect with. So the Gnostics came among the first Christians because they realized that Jesus was teaching a Gnostic message. They were clued in already, and Jesus comes along, and essentially he's reflecting things that they already believed and understood. So they became amongst the earliest followers of Jesus. So what you have is you have a mystical church on one hand, or, and I, I call it a church for convenience sake, but you have a mystical stream of early Christianity on one hand, and then you have an external stream, which became the Orthodox Catholic Church that we know today, the Church of Dogma, the Church of Hierarchy, uh, the, the, the Church that's largely patriarchal, that, that largely patriarchal. And this whole business about the shift from the feminine to the masculine, we have to understand this on two levels. Yes, on one level, there was definitely a suppression of the female leadership of the early church because they were viewed as an embarrassment. People would be like, well, you know, how can they know all these things? They're just women. You know, we're the guys, we're the smart ones. So, you know, ultimately there was a suppression of, and, and rejection of the leadership of the women. But it, it was beyond that. It, it, it is a, there was a spiritual side to this, too, because each of us contains both male and female within us. As, as Carl Jung called it, the anima and the animus, the male and the female and the female and the male. We have these two sides to us. And the female side is associated with uh, insight, intuition, and feeling. The male side was more like, you know, logic, analytic, uh, you know, kind of kind of, kind of what, what I can see and feel. And that became the outer church. That last latter description became the outer church. And essentially, uh, to make a long story short, the outer church destroyed the inner mystical church over time because it was a threat to them. 
for one thing, they had developed this whole elaborate theory or, or whole elaborate religion, you know, centered around um, the fact that the church was the intercessor between humans and God. In, in order to get to God, you've got to go through the church, right? That was their big right. thing. And then they had their, all their bishops and they had their priests and, you know, they had the whole hierarchy and all the dogmas they developed to enforce that view. Well, when the Gnostics in the inner church are saying that's not the way it works, you know, we, we, don't, we don't need God. We don't need priests. We don't need a church to do this. We, we, we need to arrive at a direct understanding of these things ourselves through our own spiritual practice. So we don't need all this apparatus that they, they had built up of this elaborate dogmatic church. Now, that was a threat to the church. So eventually they had to get rid of the mystical church. And they did. They got rid of them. You know, they suppressed their writings. They suppressed the Gnostic text. They, uh, the females were kicked out of leadership positions. And, you know, but, but spiritually and psychologically what was lost is insight, the whole value of insight and intuition, which is the gateway to understanding spirituality. And it, it, it became boxed in to these, you know, dogmatic uh, man-made uh, theories of of, of God and the way things work. And, you know, that's, that's essentially what happened. And so I think that answers your question on both a spiritual and a, and a uh, historical level. So I like that very, very well said. Um, so in, if I look at my persona and I want to move from the basement up to the uh, penthouse, the upper floor, uh, it, it's really uh, bringing out, uh, bringing balance to my masculine and my feminine side and and perhaps because I know uh, beliefs fold into this if the the idea it's done unto you as you believe I mean I'm I'm just trying to look at uh, the individual vessel the human genome or persona yeah. and and that, yeah there's many we... there's many parallel there's many parallels uh, here between Carl Jung and uh, the, the, the ancient Gnostic mystical understanding. So um, Jesus said, when you make the male female and the female male and the two become one, then you will move mountains, then you will realize the kingdom of heaven. Carl Jung said that an actualized human being is one who balances these, uh, these, uh, this male and female nature, nature. I guess another way you could put it is, make your left brain just as strong as your right brain, put them in balance. And then, you know, things start to, then, then things start to click. So yes, it very much has to do with balancing those uh, male and female energies and characteristics within each of our beings that certainly propels us and, and, you know, puts us on the road to uh, a conscious or spiritual awakening. That's very much a part of it. So then if our culture um, doesn't represent this balance of masculine and feminine, one of the things we could do as individuals is to create um, public channels like podcasts or videos or whatnot that uh, reintroduce or reinforce um, the – the value of the feminine and the masculine when they are considered in union or communion, so to speak, with each other. I mean, because cause to, to bring humanity around to a more sustainable narrative, um, it, it, um, I think it helps us to, to see in our culture 
the things that we need. In other words, if if we hide the truth, if we hide the the answer, if we hide the understanding, um, it 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 really calls for a, a I don't want to perhaps re- revolution is uh, uh, not the right word, but but a, a, a re-communion, so to speak, with the feminine aspects. Because as like as a male, I mean, suck it up, you know. Uh, don't show your emotions. Be stoic, you know. Head, you know, hand to the grindstone, and and don't look up. We've got you to know. kind of dissolve well, I think, some uh, of these things. I think I, I think that the world has been very much out of balance for a long time now towards the patriarchal or the kind of logical, you know, logical side of things uh, at the expense of um, working with our intuition and insight uh, in order to uh, gain a higher perspective of consciousness. And uh, but it's changing. It's changing because I remember, you know, 25 years ago when I used to go to those you know, conscious life expos and things like that. I'd be in a room with 200 women and me. You know, there were no guys there. Now, 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 I, now I go to these events and there's, there's equal amounts of, you know, men, men and men and women there. Uh, also, you know, the, the, the trilogy that I wrote, the first souls trilogy, which is about the first spirit consciousness to incarnate um, in materiality and traces their lives over different epochs of history. It's actually, um, quantum spirituality, the research, was the basis for the themes in, in the trilogy. And uh, central character uh, in the trilogy is Mary Magdalene. And when I started, first started uh, out writing the book, which was, oh, the first book, Pope Annalisa, was around 2009, 2010, couldn't find anything about Mary Magdalene. Within about two years, there was a veritable explosion of interest and materials on Mary Magdalene. I mean, everywhere that you look. Uh, and uh, it was just like some, like a mushroom sprouting overnight in a in a you know one of these sped up uh, videos or something. Uh, it just blossomed overnight, it seems. And um, that was really just an expression of a growing interest in recovering the sacred feminine. And the sacred feminine, I mean, you know, not not to not to make it too complicated. What the sacred feminine was really about was looking at life in a different way that has been negated by science largely. Um, you know, science is like, you know, what you can analyze, look, see, and describe in a mathematical equation, as opposed to what you can sense through your insight and intuition, um, which gets into, you know, things like meditative practices and things like that, which are, are just as valid, if not even more so than science in terms of being a gateway to consciousness because, you know, consciousness is not something you can mathematically define. Consciousness is not something that you're going to see under a microscope, but consciousness is what we are. It's what scientists use, even the materialist oriented scientists. It's what they use to, you know, do whatever they're going to do or think whatever they're going to think. It all comes down to consciousness and consciousness is something that has to be intuited and sensed rather than put in a lab and analyzed. So, you know, we're now starting, we're now in an age where I really do believe we're coming around full circle. And I say full circle because, you know, very early on, like early Egyptian society was very uh, matriarchal and and matrilineal. uh, And, uh, you know, but it was over time that we lost the goddess. We lost the, the sacred feminine. And, you know, she was shoved into the background with all the value that she brought to the table to help us as human beings. 
now that's all being rediscovered. I do really see a shift on that. Well, very nice. Well, an hour can go by pretty fast, and I want to make sure that the audience knows how to get your book. If you're offering classes, I don't know what you're offering, but share everything you want to share about your platform and your book for our audience. Well, I, I do. I don't teach classes. I do speak at, at different events around the country uh, from time to time. Uh, and uh, if you go to my website, petercanova.com, it's P-E-T-E-R-C-A-N-O-V-A.com, that's uh, pretty much a portal to a lot of my work. Um, you can uh, access uh, the uh, the trilogy, the books of the trilogy, the three books, and uh, we'll talk more about the First Souls trilogy. There's videos there. Um, there's links to my podcast, which is also called Quantum Spirituality. And, of course, there's um, you know uh, more information about the quantum spirituality book itself and uh you know what that's about and how you can how you can buy it um but i really do think that uh probably it's probably unique among a lot of books out there and that it takes it has so much information from correlated from so many different disciplines that people can connect so many dots and have this light bulb moment and say wow um it's one thing you know i might have heard a spiritual person say that but now I hear a spiritual person and a scientific person and a psychologist, and they're all saying the same thing about the nature of reality and how how things operate. So this is what I was talking about, you know, a multidimensional approach. And um, I bring it all down. I have it's a content-rich book with a lot of information. But as it gets towards the end of the book, we funnel it down into how people can incorporate this into um, their own personal spiritual practice in order to have these awakenings, in order to have these extraordinary experiences with consciousness themselves. So it's, it's both a book of uh, information and kind of a, a book as a little bit of a practical guide to, you know, help people get there, to help people, you know, have that light bulb moment. Well, very nice. Well, um, do you have any uh, closing thoughts for our audience? Well, the, 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 only, the only closing thought, I guess, I would say to the audience is that um, I hope the goal that I have in teaching people all this stuff is the same goal that you'll adopt, which is become your own prophet. Don't believe me. Don't believe anything else you hear from anyone else. You can, I'm not telling you to ignore the information that you might get from me or from other people. Listen to everything. Absorb everything. You know, Take it. But at the end of the day, just remember this. You have to get to the point where you're able to judge everything in the light of your own experience. So you have to graduate from faith to knowledge. And by knowledge, I don't mean book learning knowledge. I mean experiential knowledge, putting your hand in the fire that we talked about. And that's where quantum spirituality hopefully will help you arrive at so that you become your own prophet, you have your own revelations, you can judge your actions, other people's actions, the world, by yardsticks and standards that you will to see when you have those experiences. It sets up a whole framework of understanding the world for you. And that's where I hope people would strive towards. Very beautiful, wonderful advice. Well, Peter, you've written a fantastic book, and I've, it's been delightful having you on our show tonight. I want to thank you for being our guest. Thank you for having me.
We've been talking with Peter Canova about his latest book, Quantum Spirituality, and he's not kidding. <laughs> there is so much information in this book. The uh, um, the, there, he writes quite a bit about um, early Christianity, and I, I was born and raised in a Christian household, and the, how he describes the early days of Christianity and then how the proverbial cart got tipped over, I find uh, very fascinating and insightful. I, so if if you're looking, if you're in, if you consider yourself a, a Christian uh, follower or whatever, I think you would. Uh, find this book very interesting and fascinating. And I really like how he folded in the um, return of the feminine to bring the masculine and the feminine within you, regardless of your, your, your physical gender, the masculine and feminine energy, the fat, the masculine and feminine consciousness within your own persona as he said, or as uh, as he said, Jesus said, you'll move mountains when you when you bring that into balance. So, um, I I'm, I always like to bring these conversations back to you, back to me, back to the human persona. What a what a collection of just a lot of effort there's so much in this book it's it's a very dense um collage of information and i think he's done a wonderful job bringing it all together as a book so what what's your god gonna do for you is your savior gonna save your ass are you waiting for salvation from some external persona? Is it Allah or Buddha or Krishna or um, Zoro or Jesus or whoever? Um, what's going to do it for you? How, how, how can you, through your own authenticity, and when I say authenticity, it shatters the need for you to be anything but who you are. So I'm not, I'm not posing a template or a expected behavior here, but who are you to be in your lifetime, this lifetime? There's no requirements. You can make any choice you want now and now and now forever. But what are the possibilities of who you could be? I'm going to keep it vague because it's not my place to say but who could you be in this lifetime of yours that would honor your divine potentials? 
if you got to that place in your consciousness where you could move mountains, where you got to that place in your consciousness where you could perform the miracles. I mean, Jesus said, uh, come on, Billy, up to the bar. You're going to do everything I have done. And he raised the dead and walked on water and manifested food and healed the sick, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all of those experiences are on the table for you. Divinity uh, or God with a capital G is not going to reach over the collective consciousness. It's not going to reach over our shoulder and and grab the proverbial steering wheel of humanity. That's not how it works. But you as an individual persona of source consciousness, can in, you can intend to be a vehicle of change for yourself and consequently for the collective. I think that when you have a desire for change, uh, for uh, say, say for example, you uh, you want to have a, a more intimate relationship with love in a generic sense. You as a human being want to have a more intimate, a deeper connection with love in your lifetime. So we could call it prayer, we could call it intention, we could call it a goal. Um, When you set that, I believe it's the feminine, the, the, the divine feminine. When I think about the feminine, it's the unmanifest, it's the 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 variable the unfilled number the um the infinite potential of what might be the divine feminine takes that intention takes that prayer and goes into the infinite field of the all that is and brings back the inspiration the intuition it, the, the divine feminine returns with the answer to the prayer as inspiration. And that comes from within us. You, you know, we talked about the, the physical world that we see. You don't go get a shovel and a bucket and move the atoms around to change anything because the physical realm is the consequence of consciousness. If you want to change the physical realm, close your eyes and and meditate because you're changing your own consciousness. You're changing your own desires. The you know, so we, we talk about being able to uh embody love more. Well what if you're a cantankerous old psalm bitch that's angry at everyone and bitter and you have a lot of self guilt and and then you pray and you say okay okay what the hell uh let, how can i have a a more intimate relationship with love and and the inspiration is to 
go someplace that pushes all your buttons, that pisses you off, that sits there and pokes all your buttons and you flare up. You flare up and and you have anything but love in that moment. Well, the answer to your prayer is showing you that all the incongruent beliefs, feelings, thoughts, expectations in your own psyche that are incongruent with love. So you pray to have a more, uh, a deeper, more intimate relationship with love and your life gets turned upside down. Everything goes south and all these some bitches get in your way and what the hell is going on? I didn't ask for any of this crap. I asked for love. Right? Well, your prayer's being answered. It's saying you want to have a more genuine experience with love? Resolve all this crap in your psyche that's incongruent with love, Right? Love has no conditions of its own. In other words, the moment you move uh, into a more congruent alignment with love, it's already there to meet you. You don't have to go fetch it. It's not somewhere else. You just move into alignment with it. Well, what a what a delightful show. He's a uh, great guest, great book, superb content. Um, what a what a really delightful episode. I want to thank you, the listener. Here we are at the end of the show. We're in our 13th year. Over 500 episodes now. What a journey. Thank you for sharing that with us. This has been a New Human Living broadcast. If you're looking for spiritual resources, there's literally hundreds of podcasts just like this one free online you can find them at newhumanliving.com if you sign up for the newsletter i write a weekly blog that helps you contemplate the nature of nature contemplate the nature of your own human genome contemplate your own human potential how powerful is that i can say it's powerful because you are powerful I want to thank you for joining us in tonight's broadcast. I appreciate you, the listener. Until next time, thanks for listening.